What's up and welcome to Sweathead with Mark Pollard. Today I have Archana Iyer, who's a group strategy director at DDB in New York, having also spent five years at PR agency Weber Shandwick. She spent over 15 years in this industry, broadly speaking, half in India and half in the USA. She describes herself as flawsome, as in awesome, but with flaws, she's a culture junkie. Today, Archana, we're going to have a very public conversation about being on the autism spectrum, which is something that you brought up to me as wanting to discuss. Let's start there. Why did you approach me to discuss your 2021 diagnosis of being on the autism spectrum? First of all, hello, Mark and all the listeners. Really excited to be here. Thank you so much for having me. That was such a wonderful introduction. And I'm glad that you used the phrase flossum. I truly believe in that and um, I imbibe that in every way. So to answer your question, why did I want to talk about this? Well, firstly, autism is an invisible condition a lot of times. It is a neurological difference in how a person experiences and interacts with the world. Because it's invisible, it often gets overlooked and left out of conversations about diversity and inclusion. The reason I want to talk about it is because, one, I hope that by sharing my story, I'm able to create awareness about this condition, especially among women. Women especially are underdiagnosed due to the biases in the healthcare system. Second, I want to help others discover their own selves maybe or in their friend circles or their relatives so that, you know, there's more and more awareness. And finally, I want to encourage more people and women to come out so that talking about it is hard. But I hope that, you know, being vulnerable today and sharing it helps the world. Look, it's been amazing, especially through Sweathead, that over the years, I hear from a lot of people who pretty well into their adulthood start to get diagnosed with bipolar, with Asperger's, with being on the spectrum, with ADHD. For a lot of them, there's a sense of relief. But for a dear friend of mine actually being diagnosed with Asperger's, he said he felt depressed for a long time. Take us back to 2021. What was your reaction to the diagnosis? Going back to 2021, this is really interesting. This is at the heart of the pandemic. Oddly enough, for me, the pandemic was actually like a good time. Because of this idea of working from home, all the challenges that are associated with being on the spectrum were taken away. So two or three of the biggest challenges are sensory overload or hypersensitivity to sounds or lights and like environments. So that was taken away because I was working from home. And the second thing that was taken away was like this uh, prolonged social interaction, making small talk. So with these two things gone, suddenly I saw this increase in productivity. I was just like thriving at work. I was doing well before, but this was like another level of release. I was feeling like myself. That's when I started suspecting that I might be on the spectrum. So I self-diagnosed first. And for about six to eight months, I was just like convinced and I didn't get an official diagnosis because I was nervous. I think there is some amount of shame associated with like saying to yourself, even admitting to yourself or having a piece of paper that says that you're autistic. That's the feeling I was experiencing. But eventually I found the courage to just go to a doctor. And this, and this is an amazing doctor who did diagnose. 
and for me it was not depression it was actually a sense of uh, elation i felt relief i felt like oh my god now i get it things make so much sense it makes sense why things that are so easy for some people were so hard like social interactions things that are so hard for some people are so easy for me like connecting the dots or making logical sense of things so I felt relief but I understand what you're saying. I also have a friend who went through a period of depression when she was diagnosed. That's why it's a spectrum, right? Every person on the spectrum is different and it goes through different experiences. As you're telling that story, I'm also thinking of a, a different friend who well into their 40s was diagnosed with ADHD, largely because they were trying to work out what was happening with their child, which is a pretty common pathway for adults in their, especially 40s and 50s to be diagnosed because they see certain behaviors in their kids, they take their kid to get looked at, and then they realize, oh, some of this stuff's actually me. And I remember this friend telling me a story about when they personally went to get diagnosed as well or went through the process. And someone said to them, ADHD, it must be really tiring for you. Just a simple phrase like that and the empathy and, and this person cried because they're like, oh my God, it, it's so true. But for you, you were suspicious of thriving and doing better. To what degree did something like TikTok or YouTube play a role in this? Because I, I know that there's been a lot of talk about all these conditions that we experience, these things that we experience. And often it's through TikTok, I think, that a lot of people are like, oh my gosh, I identify with that story. It's literally the past 20 years of my life. Did TikTok play a role for you? Believe it or not, my doctor, the one who diagnosed me, he shared a TikTok account with me. He said that there are more people like you out there. Here are some TikTok accounts that you could look at. Because of his suggestion, I followed some other people on the spectrum on Instagram and TikTok. And there are like some very interesting illustrative accounts where they're like almost like comics about being on the spectrum and how it feels. It definitely helped me. There's one called Ortenel, who is a black woman on the spectrum, who is a dancer and uh, dance and movement helps her express her autism, her feelings through movement. So you're right, like the social media definitely helped both in the receiving empathy and also to get information about it. Was autism causing problems for you? You know, because often people on the spectrum, that they can be low in empathy, often have to learn how to act empathetic if they realize there's something going on. It's a learned behavior. Was it causing problems for you? One big problem I had is this so hypersensitivity to sound. Being in loud environments is very hard for me. So pre-diagnosis, I used to just like hide in. Archana always had a corner that she used to sit in or she used to disappear to. That was something I had to deal with. And then after like the world opened up, like requesting for more flexibility in terms of being able to work from home because like the world is moving back to the office. And thankfully, I've had very supportive people at work, supportive managers who have given those provisions. So that was one problem. The second, as you mentioned about um, empathy, so interesting fact is that people on the spectrum don't lack empathy. They have trouble expressing empathy, communicating empathy. And uh, people on the spectrum can be like highly empathetic and may have cognitive empathy. So there's like two, three different kinds of empathy, right? So cognitive empathy is more like a learned empathy by reading, deep listening, observing. But it's the expression of like, hey, I hear you. I feel your pain. That was harder. And so sometimes I would definitely have misunderstandings with friends or colleagues. 
I have to admit, I have fewer friends than most people, but those friends like are amazing because they accept and understand. From what I understand, ADHD and autism, there's some kind of connection between them. Maybe they're part of the same spectrum or maybe the spectrum is a rainbow, multicolored rainbow. I don't know, but there's some connection. From what I understand, it's pretty common for people on the spectrum to partner with someone else who's also on the spectrum. Does this ring true to you? Yes, ADHD and ASD are comorbidities. So sometimes people who have ASD may also have ADHD and vice versa. It isn't like that for me. I'm only on ASD. What was your second question? Have I partnered with someone? Yeah, like birds of a feather flock together. I have unfortunately not come across many others who have openly shared or that I openly know that are on the spectrum, except maybe two or three. And one of them at a workplace, which I will not mention. <laughs> yeah, like a lot of synergies for sure in thinking styles. I think the extreme flip side is also true in that sometimes people on the spectrum will partner with or attract into their lives someone who's extremely chaotic and volatile. And then you have old structure meets ultra chaos, and that can lead to some problems as well. So from what I understand, women on the autism spectrum are drastically underdiagnosed. Maybe we're used to looking at young boys and men as being problematic. So we're like, no, they've got the problem, right? One of the coping mechanisms is called masking or masking, potentially even mirroring, which is probably a form of masking. Could you explain masking and mirroring to us and then perhaps give us some examples of how you do this? And this is a very important topic. Women on the spectrum are underdiagnosed, massively underdiagnosed. And the reason is bias in the healthcare system. Because mostly all of the healthcare testing and research was done on men, the autistic traits that are most commonly seen in men are understood better. But the reality is that the autistic traits in women and men are quite different. So some of the symptoms or traits that you may not see in women, like repetition or like flapping of hands, for example, or like instead of meltdowns, they might have shutdowns, which is going quieter, not screaming or yelling. So in fun, interestingly, Emily Dickinson, who is a poet, is said to be on the spectrum, but she's a poet. The stereotype of autism is that people on the spectrum are like better at math or science, like Einstein or something. And the reason for that, which brings me to masking, is that women are more social learners. They do something called social camouflage or autistic masking which is like they quickly learn what is the like the normal way to act in and they start masking and mirroring. They're mirroring what others are doing in order to fit in. And they don't even know if they're doing it because they are not diagnosed, right? So it's something natural that they're doing, which also contributes to the late diagnosis. And as you said, that's why they often get diagnosed when their child gets diagnosed, most of them like in their middle age, which we need to change. Ah, uh, smart person. Hey, pull your mind out of those timesheets for a second and take a look at the Sweathead website. We have three membership levels, starter mode, flight mode, and beast mode. They give you access to a variety of strategy masterclasses, conferences, accelerators, and online learning, some of which has been known to make people cry because they like it, they like it, they feel seen. Make the most of your mind this year or any year and visit www.sweathead.com today. Now back to the interview. Do, 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 do. In 2021, you were diagnosed. Did you feel a pressure to, a need to, a desire to reveal this to your boss, to the people you were working with, or did you keep it to yourself for a while? I kept it to myself. Like I said, there is a certain amount of like 
fear and shame that's associated with it. And this fear is mainly that will people start looking at me differently or will I stop getting the opportunities I used to get? Will they believe me? Those were also all of those thoughts. But um, I was working at an amazing workplace, Weber Shandwick, where I felt like everything that I need is already being taken care of. So there was no need to share it or to ask for any kind of accommodation because I had worked there for, this was my fourth year there. People knew Archana, whether or not they knew the diagnosis. So I felt like they didn't have the need to share. But when you meet new people, new workplaces that and new accommodations, that's where I had to share it. And fortunately, it was received well. So how does being on the spectrum potentially even help you in strategy work? There are so many positive attributes that are great for people on the spectrum as strategists. One is uh, special interests. People on the spectrum tend to have passionate special interests that they nerd out on. Some might have special interest in Bitcoin or some might have a special interest in pain. For me, like I worked on the pain category at Excedrin, Voltar and all these brands. And I was like passionately obsessed with it to the extent of just going deep, deep, deep into the opioid crisis, into everything about the topic of pain. For a strategist, in order to do deep research, like it just comes naturally, it comes passionately. So that's one. Second is like logical thinking, which helps strategists be more single-minded. And it helps you in making hard decisions. Like whenever there's like a choice between A and B, I'm able to say, yeah, A, I believe in A because of this, this, this. That kind of like, you know, single-mindedness is also another trait. The third is pattern thinking or connecting the dots, especially between completely unconnected things, which is also something that people on the spectrum are good at. And then uh, deep focus, because um, people on the spectrum do tend to focus on like one thing deeply versus trying to multitask. Lastly, consistency. They love routines and uh, predictability, which means they'll stay longer at a job probably if they're happy. So really like it's a good career for people on the spectrum. All of that rings true. What about the fact that being a strategist does require some social work, whether it's getting people on board with your ideas or running a workshop on a Zoom or in a room? I'm assuming you've run a bunch of workshops over the years, so let's focus on that as an example. How do you make sure that you're understanding the social cues or even picking up on them as you're running a workshop? I've had to work harder than the average bear in these situations. I've done some workshops at different agencies. And what I used to do is over-prepare. Like I would prepare really, really hard. I also had the secret method called the teleprompter method, where I put the, all my notes behind the computer, like talk show host, and had those for reference. And I'm leading the workshop. And I used to like literally put the questions that I want to ask ahead of time. So I had to over-prepare versus like, right now you're just spontaneously asking me questions to doing so well. So like that comes harder to me. So I would prepare, over-prepare. Something that I'm working on and learning, like I'm working with coaches and just like reading about this to, to get better. I mean, you did prepare very quickly for this interview as well, which I find sometimes intimidating because I'm like, oh my gosh, what if this person's too prepared and I don't do them justice, their preparation justice, for example. If somebody is managing somebody on the autism spectrum out there in this industry, specifically in a strategy department, what are two or three things you think this person could benefit from knowing that we haven't already discussed? 
I think one is be empathetic, but also be direct with them because sometimes if you're not direct, they might not get it. Get the point. Over communicate clearly and try to create a space where they feel comfortable, making reasonable accommodations, and then emphasize on acceptance rather than pity, focusing on their strengths. It totally rings true. I think if you're going to bring up the fact that you've been diagnosed with something that could affect your interactions at work, don't assume that your boss is going to be your therapist. I think you do need boundaries. But then if you're the boss, you've got to make sure that you communicate. It's okay. It's totally fine. We're all a little bit different. And if you can maintain that kind of, maybe it's like a casual acceptance of people, then they're not going to be second guessing themselves in every interaction, right? 100%. Outside of work, let's get back into the personal life. What are some strategies or some tactics that you use to deal with being on the spectrum? Yes, I use quite a few of them. The biggest one is meditation. I meditate 10 minutes every single day, every morning, and it really helps keep my mind present and uh, focused. It does wonders. And I recommend it to anybody, whether on the spectrum or not. The second is movement. There's a lot of research around this. And something I've personally experienced is movement helps me express myself. Like sometimes being on the spectrum means like harder to identify your own feelings, but through through dance or through boxing or like any of those physical activities, you are able to truly feel your feelings. And that's something that helps a lot. And I think the third thing would be giving yourself the permission to take breaks or create the space that you need and not being embarrassed about it, which I learned a little later in life, like telling my friends that, hey, I can hang out, but maybe not all night. Telling your sister that, hey, I'd love for you to come over, but not maybe for two weeks, but not more, you know, setting those boundaries, take the space that you need. Does being on the spectrum affect your sleep and dreams? I never thought about that. Do you dream? Yes, vividly. In fact, I used to have a dream journal. I just wake up and write the dream and draw the dreams and they would be very visual. Sometimes the dreams that happen over a few days would tell a story, like would predict the future. It's interesting. And what about sleep structure? Do you sleep well through the night? Do you move through the night? Do you have certain patterns that you can connect to being on the spectrum? I sleep really well. Maybe I sleep more than the average human. I sleep nine hours. Sleep early, get up super early at 5 a.m., 6 a.m. sometimes. So that because I like that quiet time in the morning, which is great for this hyper focus and there's no sensory overload. You mentioned having an arch in a corner earlier, but to what degree have you built a life to avoid or to minimize social exhaustion? Is that a constant like thought or do you realize that it's constantly something that affects how you behave even if it's not like an explicit thought? It's a contradiction because uh, I also love social interactions in small pockets. Like I love the office parties. I just love the socializing and drinking and dancing together. I love it with one-on-one deep conversations. I just need to space them out better and manage them better. So it's not something that I have to constantly think about. I just have to just balance it. That's it. Now, for someone who's listening who might suspect that they could be on the spectrum, what would you recommend as next steps for them? 
everyone's journey is different. I'm not going to tell them to come out or not come out. That's their truth and their journey. But what I would tell them is that they're not alone. There's information out there. There are people out there and you can have a wonderful life. That's what I would tell them. There's hope. Believe in yourself and people believe in you. And we can all build a great world together. Would you recommend taking an online test or going straight to a doctor? What if someone feels that getting a formal diagnosis might provide some kind of way of understanding themselves and through that understanding, a, a way to behave a little bit differently or a way to get the world to understand how they are better? Online tests, doctor, books, TikTok. It really, truly is every person's journey. I feel that like to just saying that go to a doctor or take a test, if I don't want to prescribe that, it's really their journey. And it took me a while to get there. Are there communities out there? Are you connected to a community of other people who've been diagnosed or you're, you're content with just knowing and being with your friend and family groups? I did autism coaching through a network called ASD Life Coaches. That was super helpful. So that was one like sense of community. But other than that, it's pretty lonely out there. Like, I don't know many other people on the spectrum apart from maybe one or, or two. Yeah, they're out there. It's a few percent of all humans. In the US, it must be 15 to 20 million who are quite along the spectrum and then tens of other millions who have some kind of overlap with it. Final thoughts, Arch, and I know that when we started, you were nervous. This is the first time you've talked in public about this. How are you feeling now? I was nervous because this requires... Some bit of being vulnerable, but Mark, you made me feel really comfortable. I felt great for the opportunity to share it with you and with the rest of the world. The more I share, the more comfortable I feel. Awesome, awesome. Archana, if people want to reach out to you, where's the best place for them to find you? One is LinkedIn. My profile is A-R-K-K-A-N-E, Arcane, or in other words, Mysterious same arcane on twitter on instagram are at arcane well thank you for sharing your story today i speak to a lot of people who are trying to work themselves out you know i think careers like strategy that attract people whose brains are very active and a little bit different sometimes people who are used to being outside of things to watch to spectate to people watch right over time i think a lot of those people are like hang on Maybe this is a coping mechanism for how I actually am, and maybe it would be useful to know how I actually am. So I have a feeling that in the strategy community, there's probably a higher representation than on average with a whole bunch of things that, that happen in the mind. You don't have to be pathologized or have to pathologize yourself, as in you don't have to have a label. But for some people, that label provides a bit of relief. It provides a way to understand themselves, a way to reconcile their lives, to make sense of certain behaviors, certain things that have been great, certain things that they wish they could stop, and to potentially create a path forward. So if that's you and you're on that kind of journey, take it. It can be lonely, right? It, it can be a journey that you take by yourself. Yeah, it's a bit lonely, but uh, moments like this, when I'm able to talk to the world and all of your followers, I feel hope that more and more people will come out. There will be more acceptance, more awareness. I've just shared my social network, so please feel free to talk to me. I'd love to hear from you. Archana Aya, thank you so much for joining me here on Sweathead today. Best wishes with everything that comes next because of your realization. Thank you so much for having me. Peace.
Thank you for listening to this episode of Sweathead. If you enjoyed it, please share it with a friend, subscribe to our newsletter, find us on Instagram or LinkedIn at Sweathead. And if you're interested in finding out about our strategy, memberships, company training or books, visit sweathead.com. Whoop, whoop.